0: The reading of the Scriptures, uh, first from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now from 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. Great, indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again in prayer. Oh, Father, we do bow our heads to you in worship we are also most grateful and thankful for the, the great gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we worship, our great Redeemer, our King and the Giver of peace. We're thankful for every gift that comes down from heaven, uh, the gift of the Spirit, uh, the gift of your fatherly care, Day by day, mercies which are new with the rising of the sun. We pray this morning for those among us who may be sick or ill, infirmed, unable to be here, be near to them. We pray for their welfare. Bless our households, our children, our grandchildren uh, with the great gift uh, of faith. Uh, the great joy for us to see them walking in the truth, watch over us, protect us from every danger that we might encounter in this fallen world, Uh, both dangers to uh, our bodies, but also dangers to the soul. Keep us through everything. Bless us as a congregation to be salt and light, uh, to love one another, and then to bear good witness to the kingdom of heaven and to Christ our Savior. For any who have come here disheartened, uh, 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 who may be um, distressed about an issue of life, uh, minister to their knees. Pray that this service might strengthen all of us, embolden us, encourage us in the faith. Make haste, O God. Make haste, O Lord, to come to our help. And now as your word is firmly fixed wherever in the heaven, bless it to us this morning and open our eyes to behold wonderful things in the word. And bless your servant Phil as he holds forth from these great passages that speak of our Redeemer Christ. We ask all these things in his name, Jesus Christ, amen.
1: Thy will be done.
0: Lord, hear our prayers.
1: Well, it's fairly obvious that uh, we're in the Advent uh, season and uh, perhaps uh, like me, you've gone to Christmas programs and uh, you've been reminded uh, time and again that we uh, acknowledge uh, the tradition uh, of this season in which uh, the Lord uh, blessed us with uh, a Savior Uh, All of those are radically important events. Their historicity is affirmed by the church. Uh, But this morning, I would like to uh, deal with the theology of the Advent. Uh, I trust you believe in the historical fact of it, uh, but part of that belief must be in the theology of the Advent. And central to the Advent season is our worship of the Lord in His incarnation, which is a prelude uh, to the great doctrine of His substitutionary atonement uh, as the sole and efficient cause of our salvation and uh, fittingly the object of our worship. So while we ponder so many gifts in this season, the greatest gift is the gift of God in His Son and what His Son accomplished Uh, for us and in us. Uh, John 1.14, as I'm sure you are aware, comes in a section called the Prologue uh, to his entire Gospel. And it's here that John announces uh, the Incarnation in chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, But it's also critically linked contextually to the divinity of our Savior. Uh, The fact that the word became flesh, is radically important. But it's just as important that the Word was in the beginning with God. And the Word was God. Chapter 1, verse 1. I'm sure you picked up, obviously, on the allusion to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created Subsequently, we will learn in the Gospels and in the Epistles that Christ is the creator of the new creation, particularly our new birth by his sovereign power. And it's also important to recognize that the phrase in the beginning is uh, no mere temporal reference, because the word was eternal. Uh, There never was a time in which our Savior was not, nor will cease to be. And again, John goes on and tells us that the Word was with God and was God, reminding us again of the critical importance that He was the divine person. He was always God. There never was a time in which He was not God. And that He was in fellowship with God means that He too was God. God fellowshipping in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus, the eternal person, the second person of the Trinity, with all of the attributes of divinity, assumed human nature. Yeah. One person, two natures, forever. That in and of itself is a remarkable evidence of his sacrifice. He always be now forever the God man. John also tells us he was full of grace and truth, and therefore an endless supply of two of the most important, if you will, figuratively speaking, commodities that all of us desperately need. Grace and truth. Christ is the headwaters. He is the source of grace and truth. And He dispenses uh, to His people His grace and truth. The fact that He's truth uh, means that He is the only way Uh, to God the Father. No other way but through him. Then John speaks to the condescension of the word. Became flesh. He uses a very interesting verb following. He tabernacled among us. The eternal tabernacle has come uh, for a period of earthly sojourning to tabernacle among us. Uh, Great uh, passage to this end. I know you are familiar with it, uh, Philippians chapter 2 in verses 6 to 8. Who although he existed in the form of God, meaning of course that he was God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. It's interesting to me, it's always uh, amazed me that nowhere in this text, either in John 1 or Philippians 2, do we read anywhere that Christ was under obligation to leave His heavenly environment, the eternal worship of angels, and to break as the God-man in his humanity, his fellowship with the eternal Godhead. And to subject himself to the vagaries of a lost world. And eventually cruel torture upon the cross. This coming was voluntary. He set aside the voluntary use of his attributes as God. To save. As a measure of the magnificence of the theology of the Advent season. The, the incarnation is anticipated for us in a number of Old Testament texts. I'm going to review just a few of them for us this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15: God tells the serpent that a descendant of Eve will crush his head. So they knew that God was going to send a redeemer to save them from the curse. Of what they had done. You and I experience a measure of that. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 20, Paul tells the church at Rome, and God will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. From the second servant song, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5, uh, the text reads, The Lord formed him from the womb with the divine mission of restoring the preserved of Israel and becoming a light to the nations. That last phrase, a light to the nations, encompasses you and me. He became our light to give us light. From the third servant song, Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck up, pardon me, pluck out my beard. And I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting or shrink back from suffering. It reminded to us that uh, He came to suffer violence. A measure of, of the wrath of His eternal Father to pay and to redeem, to become our Savior. From the fourth servant song, Isaiah 52, verse 14. His appearance was marred more than any man. 53.3, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. How many times in our lives, particularly as we get older, we, we, we become very familiar with grief. Our Savior was the forerunner for us. The author and the perfecter of our salvation. And the majestic references to the atonement. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. He was pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening of our well-being fell upon Him. 53.10, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief so that he would render himself as a guilt offering. That he took the entire weight of the burden of the sins of His people and took upon Himself uh, the punishment that was due them to render Himself a sacrifice. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13-14 One like a Son of Man was presented before the Ancient of Days and to Him was given an everlasting dominion. Very interesting, as you know from that vision, that there is no cause stated as to why he was given an everlasting dominion. But in the interpretive portion of the chapter, uh, Daniel tells us of the sufferings of his people, reminding us that he came to suffer. And because he suffered willingly and obediently under the hand of God the Father, uh, he was accorded a kingdom of everlasting dominion and world without end. Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Messiah will be cut off. and He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. It's a reminder that our Savior uh, ended the sacrificial system of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. He ended it because He was the perfect fulfillment of it. And therefore, nothing could follow it. always reminded of theologians that have gone before us that uh, tell us of the perfections of Christ and that you never repeat perfection. And so there never again needs to be a historic presentation of the sacrifice of Christ because what He did, He did one time for all time, never again to be repeated. The Apostle Paul confirms this in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, He tells us there in that very beautiful hymn uh, that His divinity was revealed in the flesh. God became man. He was vindicated. Meaning implicitly that He was wronged, but He conquered nonetheless. And was rewarded by His eternal Father. Then He was proclaimed among the nations. He was proclaimed. He becomes the object of the proclamation. And believed upon by many. Then He was taken up in glory, implying His resurrection, His ascension into heaven. The uh, author of the book of Hebrews uh, reminds... Uh, the members of his church, of the majesty of Christ and his accomplishments, uh, what he did in his divinity and his humanity essentially throughout the entire epistle. Historically, we know uh, that some in his church are considering, considering, defecting from the faith. And so he writes to interdict them. With what? the majesty of the accomplishments of Christ. Let's think about a few of them. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 9. He tasted death. The eternal God came to taste death in His humanity. And then the accomplishment in verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory. That all of the sons of God will be brought to glory because He tasted death for us. Took upon Himself what we deserved. And therefore, our destiny, like His, is glory. Verse 16, He gives help. Each and every day, every minute of every year, you need help. He is the giver of help. Verse 17, chapter 2, to make propitiation. Verse 18, He comes to the aid of all those who are tempted. Throughout the new year that is before us, we will encounter temptation. He is our aid, who faced temptation Himself and came through perfectly. Chapter 4, Who has been tempted in all things as we are, Yet without sin. You and I break. He never broke. The fact that he never broke is a help to us when we encounter sin and temptation. Verse 16: Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy for our failures and grace to help in the hour of need. Mercy and grace. There will never come a time in our earthly sojourning that we graduate from needing the grace and mercy of the eternal Son of God, and that He is the forerunner and the giver of these great gifts to His sons and daughters. Chapter 5. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, an unending source that never runs dry, a source that keeps and preserves, sustains his people. One of my favorites is uh, found in uh, chapter six that we flee to him for refuge. He is our refuge. And then in verse 19, in Christ we have an anchor of the soul. One of the clearest maritime metaphors in all of the Scriptures. uh, That in all of the winds and storms of life, every ship that goes out into the open oceans eventually must sail through great storms. But we have an anchor to keep our soul. One of the reasons we fly to Christ as our refuge is because He, he is a perfect anchor. He keeps His own from drifting away into eternal ruin and doom. Uh, again, one of my favorite metaphors of the majesty of Christ the God-man, the anchor of our souls. Think about it this way. What if you didn't have Him as an anchor to your soul? Now that would be a a terrible thought, a perilous journey. Because eventually, uh, the tides would get us all and sweep us to ruin. Not so for those who are in Christ. Chapter 7. He holds his priesthood permanently. All of the members of the Aaronic priesthood were born, lived, and served, and they died to be replaced by someone else. Christ is not of the Aaronic priesthood. He is of the Melchizedekian priesthood at no beginning or end. The majesty of uh, the fact that He holds His priesthood permanent means many, many things for us. But it means that He is before the throne of God the Father making intercession for us forever and pleading our cause as our advocate, an advocacy that is perpetually accepted between Father and Son in the realm of heavenly glory. And so in chapter 7, verse 25, the author says that he is able to save forever, forever, those who draw near to God through him. And he always lives to make intercession for them. Think about it in this way. Uh, If you know Christ as your Savior, it is in part because he made intercession for you before you were even born. And throughout the entire period of your life before you came to a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. So that the causality is the efficient prayers of the God-man before His Heavenly Father. Keeps and preserves His own. The Father who always answers the prayers of God the Spirit and God the Son. Saves forever. I remind you all the time. Many, many churches and denominations will teach their people that one cannot be too sure about eternal salvation. We can be. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is, the eternal Savior, who saves forever, who loses none given to Him by the eternal Father. The majesty of that to me is simply overwhelming. I lose things my entire life. Of all that the Father gave Him in eternity past, He loses none. Chapter 8, a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle. I get tickled that sometimes people think about there's great things going on in the Middle East and someday there'll be a temple there and a tabernacle. Well, I guess that's well and good, but to me it's not enough. I need a heavenly tabernacle. I have it in Christ. Who's pierced the veil of it for our salvation. Chapter 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's all that it took one sacrifice for all time because He was full of perfection. Verse 12, He having been offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So we have a great salvation because we have a great Savior. And that's a, simply a measure of the majesty of the theology of the Advent season that we should hold dear in every season of our lives because of who He is and what He has done for us. Uh, The majesty of this is uh, captured theologically at great confessional statements of the church. Uh, We began with a confessional statement simply as a reminder that Grace Bible Church is connected to the Orthodox Church of all time. From the Westminster Confession, uh, there is acknowledgement in the chapter on Christ the Mediator that the Lord Jesus, by His perfect obedience and sacrifice of Himself, which He, through the Eternal Spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of His Father, And purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. Everlasting inheritance. The incarnation and atonement are acknowledged uh, in our many hymns. Or that I affectionately call uh, our theology set to music. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glory knew no end. And by thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Hark the herald angels sing. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to reign the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Good Christian men rejoice. He has opened heaven's door. Christ was born for this. Now you need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. Think about that next time you go to a funeral. And all that that means. God rest you, merry gentlemen, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So as humanity was pierced, And the provision of His deity was the infinite value necessary to secure the salvation of His people. Uh, I'm not unmindful that uh, there may be some uh, in the congregation who have uh, yet to come to a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. I trust in God's grace that you understand now of the object of our salvation. That we believe in Him for what He did for us. Because we recognize clearly and absolutely that we could not do it for ourselves. And then all of our doings was entirely insufficient because God is eternal perfection. And so He gives us His eternally perfect Son as a great gift to remind us... uh, each and every day of our lives, that we owe grace and truth to Him, His mercy and His goodness to us. So, think about it in this way from uh, where we have started. Uh, We've had the witness of uh, the Scriptures. Um, We've had the witness of uh, some great Christmas carols uh, that... Uh, come from the church. Uh, And now we have another witness, the sacrament of the Lord's table. A reminder, uh, if you will, what some have called a gospel to the senses. That his body was trashed upon the cross. Broken and marred beyond measure. uh, Because an innocent man Uh, was dying for the guilty to render a payment to a perfect God. Uh, So that when we pass the bread, we are reminded uh, that he is the bread of heaven. And the sustaining power of his life, not just because of a historical event upon the cross, but the grace that flows to us from the cross each and every day, is able to preserve and to keep us. And that the memories of the sacrament should uh, carry us onward. Not that in the physical partaking of it that we receive uh, much physical nourishment. But the spiritual remembrance and our communion with him spiritually uh, is meant to secure us and to keep us and remind us. And then of uh, the cup. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Uh, you and I know that, uh, it's a cup of the new covenant, which he authors in the shedding of his blood. That, uh, our God becomes our God to us and we become his people. And he writes his law, thank God for his grace upon our hearts. Moses wrote on stone, the Holy Spirit writes upon our hearts to secure, to secure our obedience. To secure us in coming to Him. To secure our walk in the faith. Riding on our heart. And the promise of the new covenant. Lo, I'm with you always. Uh, that we always need His presence. But He freely gives it. I uh, would ask that when uh, the bread is passed, if you are a Christian, uh, this is a Christian sacrament. If you uh, do not know Christ as your Savior, I simply encourage you to pass the elements by because you should just simply observe and wonder what's going on and think about what's going on in light of the scriptures. Uh, But if you are a Christian, uh, take the element, hold it. And uh, I would encourage you to engage in private, personal prayer with a heart full of thanksgiving and joy uh, because of all that your Savior has done for you. uh, All that he Uh, is doing for you this very moment and all that He will do for you throughout the rest of your life. And then after which time we've all been served, we will uh, take uh, together. uh, Because there's one Lord uh, and one forgiveness of sin and one people uh, all over the world to be sure, but in this particular location, one people of God And so we protect together, uh, manifesting that He has made us one uh, by His grace. So let's uh, prepare our hearts uh, for the receiving of the sacrament, uh, fellowshipping with our Savior, the host of the table, and uh, giving Him thanks and praise for the grace and truth that He gives to us freely uh, because we are His children. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the occasion to pause in the busyness of the affairs of life to give attention to that which is of inestimable value, namely the majesty of the Redeemer of God's elect and the hope of the Gospel and the promise of the resurrection and an inheritance for all time among the saints. Thank Thee for the tangible reminder of all that He is and was and will be for us. And in this instant, the occasion that by faith to fellowship with Him and to partake in remembrance of all the benefits of the new covenant and all of the source of grace and strength uh, that comes to us from the bread of heaven. I pray, Lord, for each of us that are here this morning that our faith would be strengthened because of the sacrament, uh, perhaps refreshed or renewed in some way as we ponder the majesty of the Incarnation and the glory of the Son of God and all that He did for His people and will do for them when He comes for them in heavenly glory. Bless us as we partake by faith in remembrance and in fellowship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. I would remind you that in the passing of the service of the cup, in the center of the service, there is wine and the periphery grape juice that each may partake in the freedom of their own uh, tradition and confession. But more importantly, to remember that Christ became a sacrifice for us. Uh, He drank the degradation of suffering and punishment that we deserved. Uh, Faced all the terrors of the violence of God the Father to pay the penalty. And uh, drank drank a cup of judgment to its most bitter dregs that we might drink the cup of the new covenant. Again... um, Hold the cup until which time all are served, uh, so that we will partake together as one church, one body, uh, one faith, uh, one Savior. Uh, But let's prepare our hearts now for receiving uh, the cup of the new covenant. Let us pray. Our Father, we do come in uh, celebration of all that our great Redeemer accomplished for us upon the cross and in the dispatch of the Great Spirit, in the application of redemption to our hearts. And we do celebrate. Our hearts are full of joy and thanksgiving. Uh, The majesty of the author and perfecter of our faith, who came setting aside His glory uh, to become sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the majesty of God in Him. And so we are, we are profoundly grateful. May the joy of the season abide upon us, uh, not only this day, but uh, all the days thereafter. Because we are the sons of God. And we are sons being led to glory. And may our hearts again rejoice because of Christ our Redeemer. In His name we pray. Amen.